Hi, this is Lance Falk, and you are listening to a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Yeah! Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of a podcast named Scooby-Doo, the show that attempts to unravel 50 years of mysteries, meddling kids, and masked villains. My name is Mike Josick, and I'll be your guide through all things ghostly and groovy as I investigate every angle of every mystery and beyond. So grab yourself some Scooby Snacks, fire up the mystery machine, and let's start the show. It's time to call on my Tortog. My Tor! So here we are, at the end. We made it to the third and final part of my deep dive conversation with DC Hanna-Barbera and Future Quest writer and artist, Jeff Parker. Now in the previous two episodes of the podcast, Jeff and I covered uh, Future Quest and Future Quest Presents and uh, many of the characters within Johnny Quest, Birdman, Mitor, Space Ghost, and the artists that he worked with on those particular issues and projects. This third part is a little more loosey-goosey. We talk a little more with some background and process stuff with Future Quest, but we also talk about the Funky Phantom and Captain Caveman stories that Jeff did as backups in the DC Meets Hanna-Barbera specials that came out last year. And I should also probably point out, because of the time it takes for these interviews to get edited and put together and for me to release them and then they come out in parts, I actually conducted this interview with Jeff uh, some time ago. We we do talk near the end of the interview about an upcoming project of his, which was James Bond Origin. And the first issue had just not quite yet come out. And I believe number seven has just hit the stand. So some time has passed. And we do talk about kind of Jeff rolling into that project. Uh, we talk a little bit about James Bond at the end, uh, a little bit of Funky Phantom, like I said, and Captain Caveman earlier on. There's kind of an awkward bit in between where I was challenging Jeff on a panel and some balloon placement, and I decided to leave it in just because I thought somebody else might be having sort of the same problem reading that part of the first issue of Future Quest. If I remember correctly, it might have interrupted the flow somewhat of the conversation, so just leaving it there. It's a couple of minutes, whatever. But I really enjoy talking to Jeff. I always enjoy talking to Jeff. He's one of my favorite cartoonists, uh, one of my favorite comic book creators. I love the way he approaches the material that he does, and the way that he tackled these DC Hanna-Barbera characters was some of the best that anybody, I think, could have asked for. I know it's been a while since we've had some actual Scooby conversations, but I'm really happy with how this interview turned out. I'm really happy with the things that we covered and the very deep dive that we took on the material. So I hope you guys also enjoy it. Again, if you haven't listened to the first two parts of this, I would recommend going back and checking them out. Not absolutely necessary, but there's kind of a flow 
so it kind of makes sense to do so. And like last time, I don't want to spend too much time with the introduction considering how long this stuff has been going on, so I will leave you to it and I will let you get to the interview segment of the show and I will rejoin you with my outro comments on the other side. Enjoy. Now, Hanna-Barbera has been known for being quite permissive. Anybody that I've talked to has said that the nays that they've gotten have been so far outnumbered by the, yeah, go ahead, try that, have fun. Did you get many or any notes from Hanna-Barbera regarding your stuff? Oh, no, not really. Uh, it's simply because they're really not focusing on any of that stuff. You know, it's essentially just in their catalog. So all they had to do was okay the use of it. If they weren't going to do something on their own that they didn't want to, the DC stuff conflicting with it. Because at this point, really, what, what made it all work was the fact that Diane Nelson was in charge of all of it. So Dan DiDio just had to check with her and see if it was okay. And once she said, yeah, use that, that was it. Nice. Yeah, so, yeah, that helped a lot. <laughs> well, I remember when talking to Mark, there was a, a few things that he, a few notes he got on Flintstones. Uh, they wanted him to try and put yabba dabba do into every issue which he was like really but he did a brilliant thing with it making it that ptsd coping thing (laughs) that was so amazing (laughs) that's that's so mark that's exactly the way he would it's like all right it's like that's what you get for uh you know forcing him to do something i think one of the nays was just don't use anybody in any way that we would get sued (laughs) yeah which is fair yeah, he picked people that aren't alive anymore, like Carl Sagan and stuff like that, which was perfect. Apparently, that's uh, not being alive is not necessarily. Yeah, that doesn't always get you out. Yeah. yeah, he had to dance around the whole Arthur Miller, Marilyn Monroe thing. He couldn't call them kind of directly by name. And oh wow, yeah, it was weird stuff. That that reminds me of one I wasn't expecting to run into back when we launched Batman sixty six. And I had a scene in the story where we were going to have uh, Batman and Robin doing the climb up the side of the building. And it was uh, Jonathan Case was drawing that first whole introduction. And uh, Louis Armstrong was going to pop out. And I thought, because I was, I was, in my mind, I was scaling everything up and I was bringing in big budget stuff that you couldn't have done on the show. And I thought, who would have been a really cool get for the show to have? Uh, Satchmo. That would be perfect. <laughs> And Robin was going to say, holy Satchmo. And then Louis Armstrong was going to show back up at the end. I went, I wanted to do a thing where the special guest shows back up and kind of helps slightly at the end because he was going to blow his horn in the Riddler's face to surprise him or whatever in the, uh, when they're in the park. But, uh, they had to check on that. DC Legal goes through all my scripts and the Louis Armstrong foundations like wanted a ton of money. Really? <laughs> like, it's like, uh, well, but the comic doesn't have a ton of money to work with. We're the smallest budget of anything at Warner Brothers, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it'll it's a positive portrayal of Louis Armstrong. It can't can we just use him? But uh, so we ended up using Dracula, the natural that you go to when you can't get Louis Armstrong. Of course. With Future Quest, is there anything that you feel you missed out on? Something that you wanted to get in but couldn't, or anything that you felt you could have maybe hit a little better. Hmm. I was pretty happy with the, the, the way the story played out. Uh, again, like anybody, I just wanted more Evan Shaner in it because 
when I initially planned everything, it was all, you know, it was the Shainer verse in my head, you know, and then worked from there. I still think it worked, but I, that would have been a really impressive volume for him, you know, <laughs> if, if we had a big omnibus of that now. I'm sure you could have lured him if you were able to put Superman in there. <laughs> oh, the only thing I think I, I, I probably ran out of space is I wanted to deal a little more with what happened to the Galaxy Trio. Ah, yes. So, but, uh, but we do start getting to that in the future Quest Presents. Yeah, so, issue four is all Galaxy Trio. Yeah, it was, and that's where I got into the whole notion of like, they're villains. Cause when you look at them on the surface, and don't and don't even listen to the cartoon or anything. You think these look like the bad guys, <laughs> and then I thought, well, that's a good take. Let me just go with that. I'm, I'm going to make them bad guys. You mentioned a little bit ago it was Doctor Zin's spider robots. Yeah, and I forgot to mention it at the time, but when you reveal that the spider robots were actually made by Doctor Conroy or Conroy Kim, yeah, Kim Conroy. I can't remember what order it goes in. That's kind of like him, because, yeah, it would have been his name on hers. Right. When you reveal that they were actually designs created by Conroy Kim... No, no, I'm sorry. I Kim Conroy. I'm saying it wrong. God. Okay. I'm sleeping. <laughs> when you reveal that it was actually a design of, of uh, Dr. Kim Conroy, and Ray starts shooting at it, and she's like, what are you doing? And then she's like, well, of course, of course Zinn would steal my idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to watch those old Johnny Quest episodes the same. <laughs> yeah. He stole that. He, he just... And as he would say, no, I improved upon it. And it so fits the character. It's it's a it's a clever yeah. little thing to throw in there. I really appreciated that. Yeah, Zen's not. Uh, we 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 definitely make him a better guy, but he's he's not totally good. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not he's not above swiping his partner's plans and messing with him a little bit. But uh, yeah, that that made for a, a gave us a good chance for a surprise. Like ah, there's another one of these spiders. And then there was a lot more of those spiders. Yeah, because they're, they're just the most memorable things from the cartoon. They're they so really good. are, yeah. It was cool to see, too, and, and to see, like, I don't know, there's something about Evan's take on it that really works for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it just, I mean, he didn't change anything about him, or, but he slightly maybe beefed up the legs just a little bit. Yeah. But uh, just something about the just little way he treated them, made them look around, it was perfect. I could probably keep talking about Future Quest, but I want to jump to Caveman and Funky Phantom. Two uh-huh. very two very strange stories. <laughs> yeah. The Funky Phantom, maybe a little less strange, but Captain Caveman was just sort of out there. I mean, the Spectre and the Wizard from Shazam <laughs> having a debate. That's one of those, I think, sometimes Dio just likes... He gets this idea of, like, well, put these characters together and, and then throws it out there, and then you've got to do it. Okay, uh, so that was something that was given to you? Yeah, because... When when they first Jim Chadwick wrote, you know, I assumed it's like, oh well, they're going to ask me to do the Aquaman Jabberjaw thing, and they're like, no, actually, we'd like you to do Captain Caveman story. <laughs> I was like, really? I was the Aquaman writer. You sure you don't want me to do the Aquaman thing? I would like to see your Aquaman Jabberjaw take. Yeah, well, I don't think it would have been too different from what Dan Abnett wrote, but it would have been great to work with Paul again. I was like, I've been wanting to work with him again for a, a while. And he, of course, made it look beautiful. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what he should look like, the way Paul Pelletier draws him. But, uh, you know, then it was like, do you want to do these? And I was like, you know, it's like, they're always fun, so I never I generally don't sneeze at it. But then I had to think, okay, how would I, 
I, I did actively think, though, the thing like Funky Phantoms, like, oh, good, this is the kind of thing I can do what Mark Russell gets to do, right. <laughs> you know, because I love his stuff on the Hanna-Barbera things. But that wasn't my assignment, you know. But then these kind of open it up a little more where I get to be a little more sarcastic and a little more kind of just pointing out things in the real world. Uh, Captain Caveman, though, yeah, I'm trying to think of what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> I do, I do know the one thing, one change that came back from editorial was I originally had that, uh, I, they had suggested it would be Shazam and Captain Caveman, and it's specifically the wizard Shazam, so I just thought, well, you know, Shazam pulls him out of time. But the other character I had, having the debate, the little kind of up on the mountain debate with him over, like, can you pull out an ancient hero, will it work, was actually the Phantom Stranger. And uh, then Dio said, no, use the Spectre. That'll work better from, for what we have him do in the other stories. So I was like, all right, it's just another mystical guy to me, y- even though I love those characters, really. And I, I grew up on that. But it's like for the purpose of this story, which is mostly about this caveman running around with two girls. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it works fine. And uh, Scott Collins seemed to really be into drawing that one. So Yeah. Now, when you say it would it works better for what's going on in the other story or whatever, is there more Captain Caveman coming? I don't think so, but okay. you never know. So, uh, okay, then I'm not following why the addition of the Spectre. I, well, I think he was talking about they had a dynamic, like in the past, where the Spectre... Oh, okay, okay. And, ...and Shazam had had conflicts, so they thought it'd be a little, little more relevant for those two to be together. Fair enough. Well, that, that's fine. It was a cool image seeing Captain Caveman... Bashing in some Manhunters. <laughs> yeah, and and that was a real improvement by Scott Collins because I just said they were these menace robots, and then he made them Manhunters, and then I was like, yeah, I should have said they were Manhunters because that works totally fine here. It's like having just wailing on the things with his club. That was great. I was wondering because the last time, the last round of specials, some of those backups became full-fledged series like the Jetsons and Snagglepuss. So mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering if any of these backups had that sort of backdoor pilot thing built in, but from the sound of it, I'm not hearing anything about a year three really for DC Hanna yeah. Barbera, and I've I'm trying to get Marie Javens to to interview because she's been kind of instrumental in all this, and uh, I really want to ask her like what's what's coming down the pipe. But yeah, good luck. She's she's really easy to talk to in real life, but yeah, I, I she doesn't do a ton of interviews. You know, her, her thing, which is really interesting to me, is she is a travel writer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen her blog. <clears throat> yeah, and she's she's put out these books and everything and, uh, you know, and traveled to really distant places in the world, not not your typical tourist spots by any stretch of the imagination, and uh, and figured out how to get around and get and get along in, in, in those parts of the world. And I don't know, she's a pretty interesting person. I also uh, heard she's taking over the as group editor for the Justice League books. Yeah. So I also thought that might spell doom for DC Hanna Barbera. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what their long range plan is on stuff like uh, Hanna Barbera things. I think I assume they want to keep them open so they can just visit it as much as they they feel like. You know. I know Scooby Apocalypse is continuing. That's oh, that's, is it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, anything I've heard from uh, Dimitris. They've had no, you know, they're not sitting on any chopping block or wondering if they're going to be back. They, they've been told to just keep on going. So. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah. 
especially since it's a Scooby podcast. But uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's pretty much. Oh, we covered a lot of stuff. We did. We did. I, I really appreciate the the deep dive. Like I know this is something that you know you've moved on from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's not something that's you know current really. Yeah. I, the only, really the only question that I would still have about the series is a line of dialogue that Ray says that I was just frustrated with because I, it was one of those, it might have been a weird balloon placement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was debating whether I should ask you about it, but... Well, of course you should. Uh, like, it, <laughs> It's only if I can remember, though, why why I did anything. It's, uh... Let me, I'm kind of surrounded by your books here right now. Good. The way everybody's home office should be. That's right, that's right. So it's, it's right after... Jen and Jace. Oh no. Okay, so you see those panels? Uh, yeah, it's right at the, in the first issue. Right. And Johnny says, "What if we find a vortex like the last time with those killer plants?" Ray says, "Then you bug out and let me handle it." And the next line is, "Not going to tell him we're out here too early, Bandit. The doc has to take a meeting in the lab." And then Bandit goes, "Waru," and then he goes, "Heh, I did maneuvers like that when I tested the prototype flight packs." And I was like, not going to tell him we're out here too early, Bandit? Not going to tell who? <laughs> Johnny. He's talking about Johnny. Okay, so they're they're out there way early before the Vortex is supposed to show up? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Well, you're right. That is awkward, and I could have worded that better. It's Sometimes you got to get a lot of information across, and you only have a panel. And it's, oh, yeah. And you're always up against that in comics. But, yeah, he's just... There's where I actually found. Here's the real re, uh, the use for uh, Bandit is to have characters talking to him, <laughs> so they're not just talking to themselves. More natural exposition. Uh, yeah, you got to give it to Bandit. He can fly along in a helicopter or whatever. He doesn't care. Uh, other dogs would be freaking out. I like but, Shane's uh, Bandit. He made him work. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. It's uh, like I've, I don't think the dogs ever looked that good, <laughs> except maybe like. Uh, there was one uh, Johnny Quest cover uh, for the Kamiko series in the '80s that Dave Stevens did, and it reminds right. me a lot of the way, it reminds me of the way Dave Stevens did it. Right, I remember that one. Jezebel Jade's on that one, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that old yeah. Kamiko series. It was great. And that first issue was by Wildy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Wildy kept, Wildy would come in and do the classics, so yeah. he would do like he would do an extended version of what he did on the cartoon where. It, filled in more detail. There was like three uh, issues uh, of that, I think. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. I know. So tragic. So many good artists gone. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that that brings up one last thing I, I should probably ask you. You mentioned seeing some of the original model sheets or design sketches for like early Quest characters. I'm assuming those are by Wildy or... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, did you get to look through a lot of archival stuff? Uh, no, well, no, I, I only had that because I had the, uh, well, that stuff's all online, for one thing. You can, you oh, can find true. it almost that's anywhere. True, yeah. But also, I was lucky enough to, I got to be friends with Doug back in the 90s, and I saw a lot of that. And I even saw, like, at one point, he had, uh, this this was a, a weird project, Bo Hampton, artist uh, and writer, who was a real, real help to me early on, was and I would do assistant work for he and I were talking about me writing and drawing a grown-up Johnny Quest. I, I forgot to mention that because a lot of what I was coming up with for the idea of a grown-up Johnny Quest sort of morphed into being used in the Interman. Right. Uh, and I completely blanked on that until just now. 
but anyway, you know, and he was going to, Bo was originally working for SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design at the time. And he was looking to do a thing where, like, they would make the comic at the school. That's right. I was just going to write it and maybe do layouts or something. And he was going to guide some, like, good students. He was trying to set this whole thing up and see if they could do this grown-up Johnny Quest comic. And then Doug showed us. He's like, you know, I actually did a a little pitch for grown-up Johnny Quest. And he, he sent me the drawings, like, the well, some copies. And it was really neat. It was like, oh, okay. It's like he figured out his face. It's probably not exactly the way I would have imagined Johnny growing up and looking, but you could see that it was the same person. And he still had this big giant mop of hair or whatever. That was one of the key things at the beginning, because I remember Doug regretted the fact that he never figured out how Johnny's hair really worked. (laughs) He's like, I just it's just this big mop of hair, he said. But it's really it's also impossible to animate such a thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, so we had a hard time. I was always fixing uh, the, the artists, uh, you know, trying to make it work and everything. So I, I said early on when Evan was doing the designs, like, we've got to figure out a part for Johnny's hair. Because, uh, again, just like the whole thing with Bandit, that, that's something that Doug would have changed if he could have. So let's go ahead and do it here. And he did. D- you know, Shaner, I don't know that a lot of people could have done it that well, but Shaner figured out. Uh, a way that makes it look like real hair, and you still think of it as Johnny. It still completely works as the same kid. Well, I love how Johnny's head... Like, I've always thought that Johnny's head is a little bit big. Yeah, which, yeah. Which fits for a kid, because kids sometimes have that proportional problem yeah, he, as they're he growing. Yeah, he huge heads. And, and like, Shaner nailed that. He did. Did such a good job. It was... I think every everybody's tendency is to make the age the kids up. And that's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. It's like, no, you got to, like, they're only like 11. You got to keep them at 11. And that's, for for whatever reason, that's what makes it work. You know, that's like, if they're 16 or something, it's like, eh, who cares? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just, I don't know, the, an older teenager is just not as interesting being dropped into a, a deadly danger as an 11-year-old. I guess there is sort of a, an additional element of peril for the younger kid. Oh yeah, and and they're just way more ideal, and they're not worried about starting a romance or anything. In fact, they rail against it all the time, you know. So, yeah, they, they have true. a very kid perspective on things. So enough living in the past. What do you have coming up? You've got a, a new James Bond book coming out. Yeah, that, that's the main thing I'm ready to talk about. I am writing James Bond Origin for Dynamite, and it specifically follows the Bond of the Fleming novels. And because they the Fleming people have a timeline that I had to adhere to. So it starts him off in World War Two, like straight out of Fett's college or university. And um, if I could just so, interrupt you for a second, is the Higson stuff canon? Hmm? Is the Higson stuff canon? Like the young James Bond stuff, the Silverfin and. No, not. No, well, not according. Not by what they're going with with this. OK. This is specifically only what Fleming himself referred to. Oh, and he okay. Kinda did okay. It, he kind of did it in the later books, I, when it was probably the writing on the wall, and he realized, oh, people are going to want to know some of James Bond's backstory, even though that was never super important to the novels. But then, and and of course, obviously, James Bond's backstory is mostly Ian Fleming's backstory. Right. So to do the thing, you have to research Ian Fleming as well as 
you know, read the James Bond book. Yeah, so we're we're picking up with the blitz happening uh, in England and Scotland and uh, and James being pulled into the war and going into the Navy. And that's the trick because he's not technically a secret agent yet, but we found a way to kind of start bringing him in into the what's going to become the, the Secret Service, which will ultimately be MI6 early on. So he's not a double O agent or anything. He's still, you know, uh, a sailor, you know, he, he's st- but he get, still nonetheless starts to do the sort of things that you're going to expect of James Bond. Uh, you know, we're not going to I'm not going to do the thing of like, here's the story of how he gets his Beretta or uh, <laughs> here's 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 who inspired him to start drinking vodka martinis. That's not what I'm doing with it. This isn't going to be the solo of James Bond. No, it's not the solo of James Bond. It, it's specifically and I haven't seen that yet, so I shouldn't joke about it. But uh, it, it's more going to be like, here's how you go from a kind of idealistic kid with some horrible stuff in his past. He lost his parents pretty young to the cool, suave secret agent of the fifties and sixties. So, you know, it's kind of, he's not automatically good at everything. He's not as cool as he will later be. Uh, he's not always a ladies man, but the overriding thing that I'm trying to get across with this is that he's just tenacious. He just absolutely will not give up once he's been given something that he's got, he thinks he has to do. And I think that's probably the key character part of Bond. So a little like the Daniel Craig Bond in Casino Royale. Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter how you get there. He's still going to somehow get that objective, even though it's the plan has gone way afar and and gone all to hell at this point. He's still going to somehow make it happen. And that's that's what I'm working to. I love Daniel Craig. He's so good. (laughs) So this is uh, what is this coming out? I think it starts up in September, September or October, something like that. It's on the cover of Previews, and Previews is three months ahead, right? Oh, has that already come out? Yeah. Well, I guess it's September then. I was in the comic store today, and that actually reminded me as I was buying my comics. I was like, oh, i got to talk to Jeff about James Bond. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that Previews had come out. I, I thought they just announced it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I better, I better step it up. <laughs> and how many issues is that going to be? Four or six? Uh, it's an ongoing Oh it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, and uh, and the way it's going to work is I am writing the first year, and I'm working with Bob Q, a terrific artist. Is he the who, guy that did the Spirit Green Hornet? Yes. Okay. And uh, good memory. And um, and also Ibrahim uh, Mustafa, my good friend, is going to come in and and work with me on it too later in that that first year. So no plans beyond that first year, but you never know. Mm, there are, but I can't tell you. Okay, I no, I meant for you. Yeah, maybe, but uh, it's gonna. It's eh. See, I can't. I okay, can't well, step. Every, I can't step on everybody else's shoes. <laughs> uh, this, but it is an ongoing, and because we got a whole World War II to get through. Okay, so, cool, cool. Yeah, I wasn't planning on committing for that long, but I guess I'm gonna have to. <laughs> <laughs> Just try the first year, see what you think. So I got to ask then, what's your favorite Bond movie? Wow, God, it's so tough. It depends on my mood, really. Like, like a lot of people, like you just brought up, you know, the temptations to say Casino Royale because it really? gets so much stuff in there that to me just feels very, very right. But at the same time, you know, one of the ones I really like 
is from Russia with love. And a lot of that is because of Robert Shaw. Yeah. Uh, everybody's favorite captain from Jaws, who's the Russian agent. And there's, there's just one part where him and Connery get in a fight on the train. Yes. And it is the most realistic fight still in movies. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a real fight. And actually, I had a book on Connery, and he describes in there being really mad about the whole thing because uh, apparently it got a little too real, and he wasn't expecting it. Which sounds kind of like Robert Shaw. It sounds exactly like <laughs> Robert Shaw would do. Starts start socking you and uh that's why it's like oh no wonder that thing looks so real yeah. and they're just going at it just rolling around on the floor so uh yeah to me that one felt like you know it starts off with bond's gonna assassinate somebody i went here you go it's like you know later they kind of veered away from that sort of thing but first like he's he's about to kill somebody and uh even though he doesn't succeed they strongly imply this is the kind of thing james has to do yeah uh quite a bit my favorite usually, my my top two usually flip flop between uh, From Russia with Love and uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. That's a really good movie. It's weird. You can get people getting arguments uh, about that and they don't like Lazenby or whatever. But I thought he did a good job. And one of my favorites, the movies aren't that good, but I thought Timothy Dalton was an excellent Bond. Yeah. He really looked I, the part. He looked the part, he acted the part, he was sufficiently threatening, I felt, and, and charming and good-looking and everything. It's like, I wish he could have been given the br- the budget and directors that Pierce Brosnan got. Yeah. Because Pierce Brosnan's completely unconvincing to me as Bond. It's just like, eh. I, I often describe it as like, if, if I saw Pierce Brosnan come running at me, I'd probably stand my ground like, oh yeah, I'm taking this guy down. Although, you know, I'll, I'll bet you Dalton watched Tomorrow Never Dies and thought he dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah, that, that's for sure. Um, yeah, Dalton's so good. He's good in everything he's in. I've been wanting to revisit... Uh, I've got License to Kill on Blu-ray. I picked it up somewhere recently and been wanting to go into that. Well, you'll like him in it. That's the and shark that, one, right? That's where the... Yeah, that's a little... It's a little sadistic and weird, you know? Like... <laughs> And then, then at the end, like Felix is totally all chumming it up. Like, wait, Felix, didn't they kill your wife and have your leg eaten off? And you're like, hey, how's it going, Jake? Like this, I don't, I don't know that they quite got the tone right there, but at least it had Q in it, and I like that money penny. So we talked about you going in and uh, deftly correcting the the yellow peril issues with some of those early comic books. Uh, are you going to fix any of the questionable Bond tropes? Well, the nice thing is where we're at, we're not at those tropes yet. So I, but it is the thing that comes up and I was, I was like, okay, I don't want women to appear just to get killed. That, that's a problem. And it's one they've corrected nowadays, you know, after 50 years in the Bond movies, they're finally getting around to like not bringing women in just to get shot or poisoned or, or painted gold. But, uh, that's, that's something I've considered. And, you know, I'm not, it's weird because he's set in the 40s, so early 40s, too, because my whole first year is 1941. You know, you, you can't have him being this dashing lover who's just using women. One, he's in the service. Is There's not a ton of opportunity for it that we do find a way. <laughs> I like he, how you say that. We do find yeah, a way. Find a way. But uh, <laughs> he does meet some women still. 
but at the same time, he's not in the same position he will be later. He's a young guy. So he's kind of, he, he's the one getting schooled by women when he first runs into them. And then that, oddly, that sort of kind of works with the way he is later. So it's like, yeah, we're trying to avoid some of the, the dodgier stuff Fleming might have had in, in the novels. You know, Fleming could get pretty like, I don't know. I got to watch this here because I'm working for these people. Um, <laughs> but he, he has a lot of stuff in the books we would not just throw into a story today yeah. here in the 21st century. So how does it feel? I mean, you've written for Johnny Quest, which was a, a love. You're writing for James Bond, which is clearly something that is a, a love for you as well. Well, it feels like I'm, and I often think of it this way, and I, and I feel like I'm kind of at the end of this. Because I do have some other stuff coming up, and it's not going to be very retro. It's not going to be older characters that I didn't create. But I do feel like a lot of what I've done in recent years is kind of kind of payback to uh, for young me, in a way. Like I, I feel like I kind of owe a debt to some of these characters and things I loved and was influenced by. And like, and, and also you get tired of seeing people do bring something back and they do a bad job of it. Right. That's just painful. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of the things I couldn't see one more bad flash Gordon. I was like, come on now. Let, I, I really How hard is it to do flash Gordon? Like really? Apparently it's really hard, <laughs> but uh, that was one. And, and I thought the same thing with Batman 66. I was so deathly afraid people were going to come in and not get that Batman was always in on the humor, you know, and just make fun of it. And I didn't want that to happen. So when they asked me, I said yes right away. Well, that's probably more than anybody deserves to listen to. So we'll cut it off <laughs> there. Uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for taking this deep dive on uh, this series. It's uh, It was one of my favorite uh, things to come out of DC Hanna-Barbera. And I think a lot of Johnny Quest fans, I think a lot of Hanna-Barbera action show fans were probably happy to see this thing. Uh, it just really did justice to all these characters. And uh, I appreciate you... Spending all this time talking about it after this time. It's great catching up with you again, Mike. Uh, is there any? Are you online? Do you want anyone to find you online? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, main, mainly I'm. My website is jeffparkerwrites.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter at just Jeff Parker. That's okay. my name is spelled. So easy enough. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, maybe if uh, something else interesting comes down the pike, we can have you on again. Oh, great! I'd love it. All right. Take care. And that brings to a close my extended conversation with DC Hanna-Barbera writer Jeff Parker, the third and final part of our deep dive on Future Quest. Future Quest Presents, as well as the Captain Caveman and Funky Phantom backups that he did for the DC Meets Hanna-Barbera specials that came out in October of last year. I want to thank Jeff again for taking the time to come on the podcast and chat with me. I always love talking to Jeff. He's one of my favorite people to talk to. Uh, I keep saying that but he really is. He's a genuinely great guy. He's very generous with his time, and I just love the work that he does. And I encourage anybody out there to pick up uh, anything that you see Jeff's name on, not just the Future Quest stuff. Although, there are currently two volumes of Future Quest available from Amazon. There's also the uh, two volumes of Future Quest Presents. And as we talked about at the end of the interview, he has uh, James Bond Origin, which has been really entertaining. I'm really enjoying uh, the work that he's doing with Bob Q over at Dynamite. 
And another book has just launched that he's done, which is uh, Warlord of Mars Attacks, which is a mashup of John Carter and the Mars Attacks uh, Tops card series, which is also from Dynamite. I haven't checked that one out myself, but it is on the list. We've also talked about his uh, King Features work with Dynamite, bringing back characters like Mandrake the Magician, The Phantom, and Flash Gordon, and all of those books, including more Thunderbolts, Agents of Atlas, this is just going to turn into like a bibliography of, of all the things that <laughs> Jeff's done that I'd recommend to you. Uh, create your own stuff. Mysterious. Underground. Check him out. Uh, and if you want to check him out in person, you can still catch him. Uh, we are... I'm doing this on April 20th. And he will be at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. from April 26th to 28th. Uh, you can catch Jeff in person there. And he will also be at Big Easy Con in New Orleans on June 1st and 2nd. If you're in the area, if you have the time, if you have the tickets, hit those cons up. Check Jeff out. Tell him you love his work. Tell him you love his DC Hanna-Barbera. Tell him you heard it here on a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Let him know that people are paying attention. And if you want to show me that you're paying attention, uh, you can find me on all the social media. I'm on Twitter at ScoobyDooCast. I am on Facebook. Just search a podcast named Scooby-Doo. I've got a page there. I'm also on Instagram at a podcast named Scooby-Doo. There is the blog, scoobydoocast.wordpress.com. Head over there if you want to check out some process art, uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff as part of my APNSD extras. Since I can't have, uh, you know, Jeff come on and... Well, I mean, I suppose I could have Jeff come on and do an audio commentary for a Scooby-Doo episode. I don't know if Jeff would want to, but... Since a lot of these DC Hanna-Barbera characters aren't working on Scooby properties and are likely not going to come on and do audio commentaries for episodes, I've asked if they want to contribute uh, some process stuff. Mark Russell, who did Flintstones and Snagglepuss, gave some character sketches. Mike Fian gave some page breakdowns and some pencils. And uh, Jeff's got uh, some page breakdowns as well. Even though he only drew a very small part of the Future Quest book, he actually did a lot of breakdowns and uh, he sent me some of those to include on the blog so you guys can have a look at them. So be sure to check that out. Um, the podcast is available on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play. If you're downloading or streaming off of iTunes while you're there, I'd love it if you rated and reviewed the show. That all helps with the algorithms, getting the show into the eyes and ears of people who may not know about the podcast and may be interested and maybe want to check it out. And you can also share, like, follow, subscribe to all of those things. Um, share. Share on your social media. Uh, when you see the posting go up for a new episode, share it. Re- retweet it. Or if you're on Facebook, you know, share it. Spread the word. Spread the word. Word of mouth is the best marketing anybody could ask for. And you guys are a great audience. And you've been really supportive. And that's something that I hate asking for stuff, but there you go. <laughs> if you want to do something, that's what you can do. Thanks so much for going through this marathon of, uh, of a conversation. I, I'm actually, I'm debating. I hadn't decided if I wanted to do like a Patreon or something. But if I do, I'm thinking of taking all of the interviews that I've split up into parts and maybe offering them as, you know, full downloadable, no intro or outro, interrupting everything from me. If you want to listen to Jeff talking for an hour and a half with me you just get the interview and you don't have to download multiple episodes and stuff like that it's it's something i'm thinking about 
if you've got feedback on that, if, if there's if there's anything that you might actually want out of a Patreon for the podcast, let me know. Let me know the kind of stuff that, that would be interesting. And then I could see if maybe that's something I can put together. And I mean, there's there'd be nothing worse than putting something together that you guys are like, oh, screw that. That's not something we're interested in. So there you go. Something to think about. Also, just a quick shout out to uh, Conrad Terminus and Scoobypedia. They had me do a quick little edit on uh, an interview that they did with Ray De Laurentiis. Uh, he's the developer, showrunner of Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue. If you want to check that out, it is available on the Scoobypedia page. I'm sure a Google search or farting around on Twitter, you'll eventually find it. I'm not sure what the actual uh, URL for that is, but it's out there. I had a, an incredibly <laughs> minuscule tiny hand in it. But check that out if you want some Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue content. And with that, I don't think there's anything else. I feel, I desperately feel like I'm forgetting something, but I don't know what it is, so I'm just going to have to leave it till the next episode. Um, oh, I did mention on Twitter, there was someone I approached for an interview, and they didn't want to do an audio interview. They wanted me to email them some questions. Uh, they don't normally do interviews. It is somebody I'm incredibly interested in talking to, and they were uh, very gracious to let me send some questions. So there will be, it's kind of a first time for the podcast uh, there will be an interview that will show up eventually on the blog giving the blog even more purpose so uh, watch for that watch twitter watch the social media i'll definitely be giving you guys uh, updates on that and also just to give you a heads up that i i did have an interview a great conversation with another scooby-doo alumni the first half of the interview for some reason uh, technical problems it did not record tragic we did reschedule uh, we are going to re-record just I'm not sure when the next interview is going to go up exactly, and I'm not entirely sure who it's going to be with. So I'm working on that right now, uh, trying to get that sorted out. And again, I'll let you guys know on social media. Uh, just reason I'm, I'm mentioning it is if it seems like there's a bit of a gap, that's, that's basically what's happening. <laughs> so uh, I have a couple of names. I've got a couple of people. I'm going to try and get it out in, in kind of a timely manner as I, as I always try. Uh, but if not, that's... That's the story. That's the behind the scenes uh, poop and do with that what you will. So as always, thank you guys for joining me for this conversation. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for everything that you guys do. You're a great, great audience. Couldn't do this without you. Take care. Enjoy your in-between Scooby time. I've been your host, Mike Josick. And until I see you again, remember... My tour has received your challenge, Grok, and I will fight your champion, Tyranno. You will never leave this place! It's Bernard! He followed us! Silence the animal!